while coaching my daughter's volleyball team the other night, one of the girls decided to disregard one of my instructions. And much to the chagrin of the rest of the team, they all had to run a couple of laps. A couple of girls clipped, what? I didn't do it. Why do I have to run? Others just scowled at me, sighed, and took off around the court. I actually think I saw a couple girls give me the death stare and lock in on me the whole time they were running around the court. You ever been on a team, whether sports, work, or any other, and though you did not commit the error, you, as part of the team, were punished by the wrongdoing? I have. It can be painful. And it's sometimes hard to see as fair. But the reality is that an individual's actions affects more than just themselves. Always. Always. You know, from the outside, it appears that one of our local sports teams may be suffering from the wrongdoing of some members as the star quality of their work right now isn't shimmering, but is very dull. But you know what's fascinating is that when, when we have a healthy team, when upright members hold those other members accountable who are struggling, productivity increases. As a redeemed community, you and I, we have the opportunity to live as a team, as a family. We get to operate together using each person's individual gifts given by God as an integral part of the work. And when we all work together, we get to enjoy God using us to actually change the world. We get to glorify him and share in his work. You know, we don't, we don't just get to come to a building here today to listen to some music, to sing some songs, and to listen to a lesson from the Bible. No, we, we actually get to come here to worship the creator of the universe in the presence of our team, of our friends. You know, that's what I actually say to my kids a lot as we're talking about church and what we do and why we're coming every Sunday morning. We're not just coming to this building. We aren't just merely going to church. We get to worship Jesus with our friends. And quite frankly, most things are better with friends. We have learned in our current series the importance of unity, that we need to weed out divisiveness in the Lord's church, that we need to worship in spirit and in truth, and that we pursue holiness in our lives both individually and corporately. If we are to enjoy the community together, the family, enjoy the worship of our Lord together, we must fight for these things. And as we continue in our series, All for One and One for All, we're going to look today at a particular problem in the Corinthian church that is causing great disunity. The Apostle Paul, as we learned last week, he is a good father to his spiritual children, and he is calling these brethren to examine their hearts and to change their actions, and in his exhortation, he does not hold back when he confronts a nasty issue within the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. 
Did you hear that? Yuck. Gross. Nasty. This is a case study in defilement. A man in the church took his dad's wife. What is going on in this church? Paul expounds on the repulsive behavior as he declares that this kind of thing isn't even named among the pagans. It wasn't common in the culture there in Corinth, nor was it legal under the secular law. And yet, it has crept in to the church. The apostle is appalled. The extent of depravity in the Corinth is great. This alone highlights that point. But Wayne shared with me an interesting note that he saw from Warren Wiersbe about Paul. And it says this, Paul wrote Romans while in Corinth. The place was so nasty that he probably just looked out of his window for inspiration to pen Romans 1, 18 through 32. Let's read those passages. Romans 1, 18 through 32 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Kevin McDowell, in his book, in, book entitled Samson of a Man, makes this comment about our culture. Sexual perversion in the world today is ponderous. Pornography has become a multi-billion dollar global business. Sexual situations, dialogue, and images in the media have increased exponentially since the 1960s. The news is inundated with sensational accounts of promiscuity. We are no longer a nation of virtue and innocence. Mankind today is ruled by emotions and imaginations. 
Godly convictions have been abandoned. All this is the result of not retaining God and God's word in our lives. The consequence has been that God has turned a whole generation over to, quoting Romans 1, a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. End quote. Just to illustrate the magnitude of the sexual perversion in our culture, let me show these statistics. Number one. 12% of all websites on the internet are pornographic. That's 24,644,172 sites. Every second, every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography. And every second, 28,258 internet users are using porn. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. One in three porn viewers are women. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit porn sites in a typical month. Number four, in the US, internet porn pulls in $2.84 billion per year. The worldwide industry is worth $4.9 billion a year. 2.5 billion emails per day are pornographic. That's 8% of all emails. 25% of all search engine requests are pornography-related. That's 68 million a day. 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic. The top pornographic search terms, 75% is sex, 30% is adult dating, 23% porn. Utah has the nation's highest online porn subscription rate per thousand home broadband users at 5.47%. 34, 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to porn either through pop-up ads, misdirected links, or emails. There are 116,000 searches for child pornography every single day. The average age of which a child first sees porn online is 11. 20% of men admit to watching porn online at work 13% of women do. Average porn site visit lasts six minutes and 29 seconds. Here's an interesting fact. The least popular day of the year for viewing porn is Thanksgiving. The most popular day of the week for viewing porn is on Sunday. Our culture is inundated with the based minds Indeed. What we are seeing in our culture today isn't different than what Paul was addressing to the Corinthians. But the problem doesn't just end with one guy in a nasty relationship with his stepmother. Paul continues to address the congregation. And in verse 2, 1 Corinthians 5, He says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that the 
his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, it's as if, as if Paul's crying out, hey church, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. That's not supposed to be how it works. Your arrogance and your neglect of sin in the congregation is corrupting the whole body. You're doing it wrong. Some of you may have heard of the Nashville Statement. The Nashville Statement is much like, in my opinion, a modern-day version of the 95 Theses Luther nailed on the Wittenberg door. The Council of, on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood helped put the statement together a couple of months ago, and over 17,000 evangelicals from multiple denominational backgrounds have signed this statement. Here's a portion of the preamble. Let me read this to you. It begins with this. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Psalm 100. Three. Preamble continues, says evangelical Christians at the dawn of the 21st century find themselves living in a period of historic transition. As Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian, it has embarked upon a massive revision of what it means to be a human being. By and large, the spirit of our age no longer discerns or delights in the beauty of God's design for human life. Many deny that God created human beings for his glory and that his good purposes for us include our personal and physical design as male and female. It is common to think that human identity as male and female is not part of God's beautiful plan, but is rather an expression of an individual's autonomous preferences. The pathway to full and lasting joy through God's good design for his creatures is thus replaced by the path of short-sighted alternatives that sooner or later ruin human life and dishonor God. The Nashville Statement goes on and it lays out affirmations and denial statements in the form of articles, and I'd like to read you the first article. First article states in the Nashville Statement, we affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife, and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. We deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, polygamous, or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. I would recommend that, that you spend time reading that statement yourself and working through the word of God alongside it to, to understand the truth about how you were created, male and female, as he created us. Again, like Luther, Luther's thesis, the, the, the intent was to reform the church. The intent was to call the church to the truth of the God's word, 
to rally Christians around the truth so that they could be free and live out using their powers for good. And this statement from these believers is to help call Christians to the truth, to live in God's good plan, which provides us with the greatest freedom. However, the unfortunate reality is that the statement has received quite a bit of negative impact. Now, you and I know that we should expect that from, from the world. We don't think the same way. But the most disheartening thing is that some of the most adamant rejectors of a statement meant to honor the Lord and proclaim his truth has been from those claiming to be a part of God's church. Here is one commentator on the Nashville Statement named Mark Galley who says this in Christianity Today. Unfortunately, in attempting to clarify classic Orthodox belief, the Nashville Statement ended up confusing some issues and has divided advocates of biblical sexuality. For example, the Nashville Statement says, we deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender, transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. Galley continues, this critiques those who, while honoring the Bible's teaching to refrain from same-sex relations, still describe themselves as gay Christians. Some signers of the statement have argued that our identity cannot be grounded in a broken state, but instead must be grounded in Christ. This argument fails to appreciate the nuances of identity, however. Wait, what? Did you, did you read what I just read? The statement, the statement that argues that identity of those who claim the name of Jesus are grounded in Christ fails to appreciate the nuances of identity? No, it doesn't fail at all in that. Contrary to popular opinion, you cannot be whoever or whatever you want to be. I'm sorry to break your dreams. You may have fun at Halloween dressing up as your favorite superhero, but you are not that superhero. The Bible declares that either you are dead in your trespasses and sins, or you have been made alive to walk in newness of life because of the blood of Jesus that you have recognized has been given for your soul. There are only two identities. You are either dead or you are made alive. That's it. This nuance of identity is a lie. And now, if you have trusted Jesus, if you know the power of his saving work, then you have been given the spirit of God to live by which is greater than any superhero power that we can imagine. Living by the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to do the greatest good of all. Living by that spirit is exhibited when we as believers of Jesus Christ recognize sin in our midst and we confront it properly. We have the opportunity to live out the freedom that Christ gave to us and celebrate the festival with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We get to enjoy the feast together when we walk in sincerity and truth by the Spirit's power. 
The MacArthur Study Bible notes state this. It says, just as unleavened bread symbolized being freed from Egypt by the Passover in Exodus 12, so the church is to be unleavened. Since it has been separated from the dominion of sin and death by the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, the church is, therefore, to remove everything sinful in order to be separate from the old life, including the influence of sinful church members. If we are to live out the truth of the Spirit, to celebrate this festival together, to, to work hard together as a family to do the Lord's good work, then we are then called to make judgments within the church according to the scriptures. Apostle Paul continues in verse nine. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Purge the evil person from among you. I don't know about you, but in my flesh, that is a terrifying statement. But you know what's more terrifying? It's more terrifying to think of how many people in the Lord's church mimic statements like Mr. Galley's. What he said in Christianity Today, calling others not to make judgments about their identities. We must be more accurate in our study and adherence to the word of God. You know, when confronted with any, anything, actually, many people in the church tend to make the statement, judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to judge me? Now, this is taken from Matthew 7, but it appears to be taken out of context quite a bit. Let's read that passage. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you will use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. If you read the passage carefully, the passage is calling and instructing how to make judgments within the church, not telling us never to make judgments about wrongdoing within the church. Self-righteous hypocrites walk around looking at everyone else's sin but never repent of their own. That is what the passage is talking about. Perhaps that is actually the bigger problem that we have, isn't it? That we don't repent of our personal sin as we should. 
Instead, we choose to let a little leaven in and we start feeling real comfortable as we look just like the world around us. Although that is until the world encroaches on our stuff, on our freedoms, on our beliefs, on our church. And then we can start reacting the wrong way and fighting the world outside without dealing with the stuff inside. We neglect sin, we neglect each other, and we fight the wrong way. It seems actually that the Corinthian church spent too much time judging those outside the church because they seemed to insulate themselves. They took Paul's words and twisted them and said, I don't have to deal with the world outside. They don't believe what I believe. They took his command about not associating with sexual, sexually immoral, greedy, swindlers, or idolaters, and they took it to mean those outside and not interacting with the world, and yet, and yet they continue to fellowship and feast with the one inside the church who's claiming to be a brother who took his own dad's wife. Paul declares, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. If we are to live all for one and use our powers for good to join the Lord's work in making disciples, then we must pursue holiness in our lives and each other's lives. The Lord desires for his people to care for one another. We are to love and care for one another and walk with one another. He has called us to unify around the truth of his word and we are to, as Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. You and I get to admonish one another. That means that we get to share with our brothers and sisters the truth when we see that they are being led astray by the lure of sin and we are to call them back to walk in God's grace. Galatians 6, one through five says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. We are to go after our brothers. We are to gently correct them, to lovingly instruct them and lead them away from the path of sin and destruction. Now I realize that some of you have maybe been hurt in the past by others who actually disobeyed the scriptures and they did not take the log out of their own eye before confronting you about the speck in yours, and I realize that that is painful. It is sinful on their part, and I pray that you will learn to forgive them as the Lord forgives you, if you haven't already. But if we are going to enjoy fellowship with one another as a community, as a family, if we're going to do the work, the good work that the Lord has for us as we imagine what it means to go out and make sure people know the gospel of Christ, then we must not let the Corinthians' mindset creep into us. We must tackle sin lest we become puffed up and rebellious as well. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Do you know that you and I get to be counselors to one another? 
We get to love each other so much to put our hands around each other and walk with each other in the valley of the shadow of death to mimic what the Lord does for us. We get to do that. And there's great safety. I understand it's scary too. Because that brother next to you is not perfect either. But I promise it's worth it. If we will adhere to the word of God, if we will fight against sexual immorality, if we will fight against idolatry, reviling, drunkenness, against swindling, then we will be able to use our power for good and live in the freedom of all for one, Jesus, and one for all. You know where we begin? We must begin in humility and repentance of the sin that is in our own personal lives. We must take the log out of our own eye first. We must walk in the light, not in the darkness. We must confess sin regularly so that we may be able to walk and see clearly to love our brothers and sisters enough to help lead them away from the path of destruction. If you would, I would like for us to spend some time in prayer. It may not be comfortable. In fact, I'd like you to kneel if you can. If you wanna come up here, come up here and kneel at the, at the front. And I want you to spend some time and we're gonna walk through a couple of things and I want you to deal with your Lord wherever you are in life with him. Good, bad, or ugly. If you would, move now. And if you can't move, just bow your head and close your eyes, please. The word says that if we confess our sins to the Lord, that he is faithful to forgive us. And right now, I just encourage you that you would ask the Lord right now if there's any wicked way in you, if there's anything that is creeping in that is starting to settle in as a little bitty piece of leaven, that you would repent of that. Whether it's sexual immorality, idolatry, drunkenness, any other kind of addiction, laziness, Spend some time now confessing if you are in need of confessing at the moment. Lord is faithful in his forgiveness because he loves us. 
And I ask you right now to, to just thank him that his grace found you. Thank him that he removes your sin as far as the east, from the, is, east is from the west. Spend some time thanking you, Lord, now. Perhaps you're here today and the grace of God hasn't found you yet because you have not responded to his gift of life to you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised, you from the dead, raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. I recommend that you confess Trust in the Lord, believe on him today, and choose to walk in newness of life as one of his people. Almighty God, Again, we are grateful that your grace found us. That you offer hope and life, that we can walk in new life. We don't have to walk in death, marred by our sin anymore. We can walk by your spirit in new life and enjoy the freedom that you bring. And God, we get to do that with friends. And Father, we're grateful. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would help us to continue to see what it means that we take seriously your word, that we take seriously the sin that creeps into our lives and that we would fight it with your spirit. And that we would lock arms with one another and that we would fight together to help one another stay away from the wickedness the flesh. Father, the ushers are going to come forward and take our offering. And God, we ask that you would that you would use every cent to help us to continue to proclaim your truth, to help us reach other people with your grace and love. God, that you would use it to do your good in our lives, in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.